What is going on in the Ivy League? Isabel Rodriguez, contributing writer at The Next and women's basketball writer at The Daily Princetonian, and Jen Hatfield, managing editor, Ivy League beat writer, and Washington Mystics beat writer at The Next, joined host Natalie Heverin to discuss recent upsets and other Ivy League storylines. Ogumba Wallet for the win! You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Hello and happy Tuesday. You are locked on to women's basketball. I'm Natalie Hevron and I'm a features writer and the Atlantic 10 beat reporter for the next. Thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by PrizePix. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. That's prizepix.com, promo code LOCKEDON. Today, we'll be chatting all things Ivy League, from last weekend's chaos to the parity in the league this season, who the third and fourth best teams in the conference are, and what's coming up in Jen and Isabel's coverage. Joining me today is Isabel Rodriguez, who's a contributing writer at The Next and women's basketball writer at The Daily Princetonian, and Jen Hatfield, who is managing editor, Ivy League beat writer, and Washington Mystics beat writer at The Next. So Jen, you just had a story come out this week on the chaos in the Ivy League, and you saw two down-to-the-wire games this weekend in person. Where were you and what stood out to you from those games? Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Um, I couldn't have asked for two better games to be at in person. So I started my weekend. I did the I did the Ivy League back to back as a reporter. And I must say, I have I have extra respect for how for how tiring it is. Um, but I started my weekend on Friday uh, watching Columbia go to Princeton and knock off the Tigers to snap a 27 game losing streak in that series. Um, so that was a big deal. And then I continued on to Penn on Saturday, uh, where Columbia came into town looking to, it was a battle of 2-0 and teams, and Columbia was kind of looking to cement itself atop the conference, but ended up falling in a really close game to Penn. And so now Penn is the only 3-0 and team in the Ivy League right now, um, which is not something that a lot of folks would, would have predicted for the uh, preseason fifth place team. So it's been a chaotic weekend. There have been other upsets uh, beyond uh, what I was there to see. And it's just showing that, that the league really is wide open. There's more depth at the top than, than there has been in, in a lot of seasons previously. So it's going to be a really fun ride. And before we get into more about that, Isabel, what were your takeaways from Columbia and Princeton? And I know we watched that together over on Playback. We did watch it together on playback. That was that was quite the time. I wasn't able to go, um, which was which was really unfortunate. It was the first, I think it's the first home game that I've missed this season. Um, which and and what a home game to miss. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean the biggest takeaway for me is that I mean obviously the Ivy League is a lot more competitive this year than it has been in years past. Um, but uh, at the same time, like I think. It, it shows that there's a lot of room for this Princeton team to grow in particular. Um, and they're going to get some really good tests during the Ivy League season, which I think was one thing that was always kind of missing from that conference season for them is that there wasn't really a major test for them until the Ivy tournament. Um, and that made the tournament a lot more high stakes um, because there wasn't that sort of like everything's kind of on the line 
situation until they got to like, this is the moment where we get to decide whether or not we're in the NCAA tournament or not. So at least from a Princeton perspective, I think it's really great to see the league like grow and, and become more competitive just because it means that you're going to get more competitive and you're going to get more opportunities to try different things and, and to become a better team yourself. So I'm psyched. This is awesome. <laughs> so Princeton also lost its opener to Harvard on December 31st. And Isabel, you were there live for that game. For both of you, what went wrong for Princeton in both games or did the Tigers show signs of progress against Columbia? Yeah, I, just going back to the Harvard game, I mean, I think it really was a wake-up call um, for for Princeton that, like, there are teams that are after them this season, um, and, and they're more capable of doing that than they have been in years past, talent-wise and also coaching-wise. Um, and so I think um, that, that that really showed during that Harvard game, and then it was a double whammy during Columbia. I think this was their first overtime game of the season as well, so there's, there's that element um, as well to consider. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, honestly, I didn't really see all that much that was completely different, um, from Harvard to Columbia. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think both of those games were, were really important in terms of, in terms of setting the trajectory for the future. Yeah, for me, uh, so, you know, Carla Berube's, for instance, head coach, her kind of take on both games was a little bit telling, you know, she seemed disappointed in how her team performed. Her team performed at Harvard, saying, "You know, it wasn't good enough. Everyone needed to be better. They weren't overreacting to their first loss, literally of the Carla Berube era, which has been several years now." Um, she entered this season thirty and zero in all Ivy League play, which is an incredible statistic. But you know, she wasn't overreacting to her first conference loss, but she didn't think it was good enough. Um, and then, you know, to follow that up with another loss. I think the biggest difference that I saw, you know, Carla was was very pleased with how her team played against Columbia, especially defensively. The score was 58-55, I believe, in overtime. And if you hold Columbia, which entered the game averaging something like 82 points per game this season, which is really high, would be like 10 points higher than their previous program record. But if you hold Columbia to 50, 58 points in an overtime game, uh, you would expect to win that game, frankly. And so for me, just, you know, seeing that defense uh, on Friday, um, you know, was a really good sign for me about Princeton. They, Princeton has always been a really top tier defensive team under Barubi. Um, This season, their defensive numbers weren't quite as good as they've been in the past. And kind of the eye test, I think, Isabel, you would agree with this too. Like the eye test, it just wasn't quite as uh, suffocating is the word that I would use as past years. Um, but on Friday, on yes, Friday, days of the week are hard. On Friday, they kind of seemed to like rediscover the defensive mojo that made them not just like a good defensive team, but a really good defensive team that they can hang their hat on. Um, so I saw it as um, they really took a step forward, even though the result wasn't what, what uh, they wanted it to be. Yeah, I think the one thing that was interesting, I guess now thinking about it more critically, <laughs> um, the, so Carla talked a lot about early in the season about finding a, a chemistry that they really hadn't figured out yet. I mean, this is a team that that lost their leading scorer um, in Abby Myers to Maryland, and, and we all love Abby Myers, so it's it's hard to she's a hard person to replace. Um, and while the team has a lot of veterans, they also have a lot of younger players that didn't necessarily see the rotation last year 
that they're trying to integrate this year. So I think, you know, during that loss to Columbia, that was probably the one thing that stood out was that they finally were kind of able to play that full court Princeton defense um, for basically the full 40 minutes. Um, and and that was not something that we'd necessarily seen from them before. Um, and they had their ups and downs. I don't think it was a game where they played 40 minutes of perfect basketball like quite yet, which I know is something that they, they've been trying to do um, is to play just one full game where they're happy with basically everything that's gone, that's gone down. Um, I think offensively, there's still a lot of holes to fill. Um, but defensively, at least, yeah, I would totally agree that, that things looked a lot better there. And then for either of you or both of you, how good do you think Columbia and Princeton are right now based on what you've seen so far? Yeah, I think they're both really quality teams. Uh, after the Columbia-Princeton game, Carla Baruby talked about how both teams should be in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, obviously her perspective is not unbiased, right? But the fact that we are able to have that conversation in itself is telling. Um, with no disrespect to Penn, who just beat Columbia, I still think Columbia is the favorite right now, as far as we can tell amid all the chaos. I would pick them if I had to pick right now um, a conference champion. Um, but I think, you know, when when Princeton plays at Columbia uh, in February for the rematch, I think that's going to be another great game down to the wire. Um, I think that, you know, any it's cliche to say anyone can beat anyone and not and not everyone in this conference can beat everyone in this conference. But a lot of teams can beat each other in this conference. Um, as you can see, even even in the net ratings, they're starting to the top four or five are starting to kind of converge here. Um, but yeah, right now Columbia is, uh, still my favorite Princeton, I think is going to keep trending up as we saw in the, in the past couple of games. And I expect them to be, um, you know, they'll be fine as, as Penn head coach, Mike McLaughlin said about Columbia after the loss, they'll be fine. We got them today, but they'll be fine. Yeah. I think Columbia is one of the like most exciting teams that I've seen in a long time. Um, their chemistry and their cohesion is like, something unlike I've ever really seen before in terms of like buy-in from like multiple transfers and like, and players from up and down the roster. Um, it really seems like they've built something culturally that, that players are really buying into. And I think that can go a really long way um, because it's not like they're having to figure that out mid season. It's something that they can fall back on and rely on for a long time. Um, and so I think that definitely gives them an edge that, I don't think you can necessarily find in a lot of other Ivy programs, but it's definitely something that I think people will want to replicate in the future um, and just seeing how successful they've been with that. Um, so, yeah, I would probably agree, at least for now. I think Columbia is definitely kind of still my like favorite for the season, and we'll see whether anybody else challenges that until the end of the year. Coming up next, we're going to discuss some of the recent upsets in the conference uh, Who and who was picked or who Jen and Isabel think are the third and fourth best teams in the conference. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks gives you the opportunity to test your own knowledge against yourself. Pick two to six players, and if they go on to score more or less than the Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. It's not competing against other people, it's you versus the projection. Prize Picks offers projections on any sports you watch, from women's college basketball to the WNBA, NWSL, as well as the NBA, men's college basketball, and even esports, NASCAR, cricket, and more. 
Entries can be made in less than a minute. It's that easy. And not only is PrizePix operational in 30 states and Canada, the withdrawal process is safe and fast. Download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. So, Jen, uh, we mentioned that there were some other upsets around the conference last weekend. Can you fill us in on what those were? Sure thing. Yeah, so on Friday, things pretty much went according to plan outside of Princeton, New Jersey. However, you want to call that upset, not an upset. Probably a toss-up, to be honest. But other than that, things went pretty much according to plan. And then Saturday, things kind of went off the rails a little bit. Uh, so a little had, bit. And <laughs> beating Columbia at home. Uh, and then I think the the biggest upset of the weekend um, was Yale beating Harvard at Harvard. That if you look at the net uh, rankings and and do it define an upset that way, that was definitely the biggest upset of the weekend. It was they were separated by about 120 spots in the rankings to give you some context. And Yale hadn't won in Levy's Pavilion in a decade, um, so that was a huge one. And we can talk more about that. And then the only other one which. You can call an upset or not, depending on whether you're looking at the at the net or the preseason poll. But Brown went on the road and, and pulled out a win at Dartmouth. So um, that was that's your quick recap uh, of, of what went down upset wise. And then, Isabel, Princeton avoided an upset on Saturday by beating Cornell. What are your thoughts on Princeton getting its first Ivy win? And then how did they do it? Yeah, um... This, this I think, was, was what I was hoping for in, for a number of reasons. Um, I think after Princeton lost to Columbia, I think I messaged you, Jen, and I was like, I fear for Cornell tomorrow. <laughs> um, because if there's one thing that you don't want to be on the wrong side of, it's a Princeton team on a two-game losing streak. Um, and I think they showed that pretty quickly. Um, I mean, this was a much more offensively cohesive performance than they've had before. And you can see that based on like the shooting percentages across the board. And also there was, besides Madison St. Rose with 15 points, which was a new career high, there really wasn't one single scorer who who led the team. Um, usually it's Caitlin Chen with like 20 plus points. This was her first game with under 20 points in like four games, I think, or three or four games. Um, and so it was much more spread out. Um and I think defensively, they kind of kept the same pace from from that Columbia game, which was nice to see as well. So, yeah, they ended up shutting out Cornell 70-48, which is much more on par with what they're used to in terms of Ivy League play. So, um, yeah, it was it was definitely a mood booster across the board, I would say. Um, and and yeah, I think it'll at least give them some trajectories for where to go to next. But we should talk about this Yale Harvard game because. Man, oh, man. <laughs> was, yes. was that a time? Let, me, let me add one thing about Princeton, and then we can go there. Um, what impressed me, just looking at the box score, because um, I was, you know, all, all the Ivy games happened basically at the same time. So, uh, <laughs> but the, the rebounding margin, uh, I believe it was 31 to 19 Princeton. Like, they held Cornell to 19 rebounds. That is yep. not a lot of rebounds, particularly in a game where, you know, Cornell's missing some shots because of that Princeton defense. 
And they did it with Ellie Mitchell having single digit rebounds, which is like like an asteroid hitting the earth. Like that not even just single digits, three rebounds. <laughs> this is someone who averages like eleven or twelve a game. <laughs> she had twenty two against Columbia, and then I guess she used them all up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or or it was a scoring error. Maybe it was a scoring error because three rebounds for Ellie Mitchell is like not not a thing like I can't process that so but but that rebounding margin and particularly just not giving Cornell any boards was very impressive to me yeah so the the Yale Harvard game was just a wacky like looking at, <laughs> at the box score and the runs that each team had like Yale was up big and then Harvard came back and led by eight uh, with like four minutes left and then Yale closed that and forced overtime. And then in overtime, Yale took a six point lead and then Harvard closed it to one and then Harvard missed a buzzer beater. And it was just like, it was super chaotic. Like I've been saying chaos a lot and there were chaotic results, but like even just that game, like I can't imagine being there because you would be so stressed. Yeah. Like I remember at one point um, I was talking to one of my one of my friends and I were watching this game together. She's like the only other person I know that watches Ivy League women's basketball besides Jen. Um, and she and I were watching this game together. Um, and I think at one point, Harmony Turner was like one for nine or had like just only like a handful of points. She ends up leading the entire, I think leading everybody who scored with 26 points by the end of the game. And I think most of those came in the second half. And so just like the complete 180 turnaround for her, I think was a huge, a huge thing to watch. Uh, But also just like watching Yale weather the storm in so many ways, like despite the fact that they were dealing with an onslaught of scoring from Harmony Turner um, and a defense that really picked up in the second half. um, It it was just so impressive to watch them actually be able to close that game because that's a, that's a really tough skill um, to close a close game, especially when you're on the road you're in a, um, well, we could say like a, an adversarial position um, with a crowd that's definitely against you. We know that that Harvard-Yale rivalry, rivalry is really intense. So watching them be able to pull that out was, was just really impressive and definitely speaks volumes about where Yale is at compared to where we might have thought it would be. Yeah, and, and, you know, them scoring enough points. Like, it wasn't Harvard's best defensive effort if you look at, like, Yale's field goal percentages. But, you know, Yale scoring enough points to stay with Harvard is not a small thing. Um, Yale lost its best player, Camilla Emsbo, an Ivy Player of the Year caliber uh, center, to an ACL injury in the preseason. So they've been without her all year, um, and, and they've missed her. Um, but, you know, in this game, they were able to hang with Harvard offensively and, and use their defense to, you know, to stifle them that way, too. I mean, I don't I don't remember exactly how many points Lola Mullaney had in that game. But the night before against Brown, she put up 30 and she was uh, much more contained against Yale. So just a, a really impressive effort. Like you said, a, a hostile environment that gym is small, so it gets loud and it's hot. Um, it's definitely um, very warm in there. That's for sure. It's very warm in there. There and the palestra is also very hot. Um, (laughs) but yeah, so they pulled it out. Um, it was, it was a really fun battle between first year Ivy head coaches. So they were both like in the Harvard Yale rivalry for the first time. So I think that was a really fun dynamic. Um, and then just got to say like props to Yale for their, for their locker room celebration. We got a lot of really great like locker room celebration videos on Twitter this weekend, but like 
Yale's Grace Thibel gets like major props because, you know, most players like you'll squirt the water bottle at the coach, right? You'll just like, so it'll come out in like a little stream. Grace Thibel goes and gets the whole dang cooler and dumps it on his <laughs> head. And she's just like, oh, <laughs> like so wet, so cold. So like props to Grace Thibel and props to all these sports information departments for recording these because, you know, Penn had a good one. Columbia always has good ones. Um, so, so that was just a fun tidbit. I will also say really fun battle between two former Princeton assistant coaches. The Princeton coaching tree goes far and wide. And this was definitely one that I was looking forward to at least watching them in their first, first years as head coaches, um, and how their, their styles have evolved since being at Princeton. This was super fun. Um, at least in that way, because they both got a grit that I think is like very reminiscent of some of those early Courtney Bangart teams. Um, and, and so I think that that's translated well, but they've absolutely made it their own. Um, and each one has kind of a distinct flavor, which I think is super fun. And then rapid fire, who do you think are in the conversation for the third and fourth best teams in the conference? And that's important because only the top four teams qualify for the Ivy League tournament. This question was so much easier to answer before this weekend. Um, yeah. <laughs> as of right now, in order, I'll say Columbia, Princeton, and then Harvard and Penn in some order. I'll probably keep Harvard at number three, but Penn is really putting on putting on a show. Um, and, and Yale is hard charging at five. So those are have always been my top five, but the order maybe shuffling a little bit. Yeah, I think so. And I think that the upcoming games will help figure out like where, where how that order kind of sits. Cause you'll see, I think Princeton takes 10 on the 16th. So it'll be, be interesting to see how that goes. And then also I'm curious to see Yale have a couple more challenges. I think when they take on Columbia, that will be a particularly fun watch just because we've talked about this before, Jen, but Harvard and Columbia are like, they're not the same team by any means, but they're definitely similar. Um, And I think watching and seeing whether Yale can have the same sort of intensity that they did at Harvard at Columbia will tell me a lot about how they'll stack up against other competition in the Ivy League, Um, because I'm having a really hard time not ranking them in the top four after that, after that win. Um, Well, the Yale Columbia (laughs) New New Year's Eve opener was not super kind to to Yale, but uh, I would expect a better performance the second time around. That was for anyone who's watching at home, uh, counting at home, rather, I think that was a 44 point win for Columbia. They scored 97 points and only made four three pointers. Yeah, do that math. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like that win definitely turned the tables for me. just because it, I mean, again, like doing an overtime win the way that they did it is just so difficult, <laughs> especially against a Harvard team at home. Um, so I, I, I think I'll have to take a couple more games on Yale to see where exactly they land. But for right now, they're like probably my next team in um, right at the fifth spot behind Penn and or Princeton and or Harvard. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing with like, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a young team without MSPO leading them as a senior. Right. So like seeing whether they are trending up or just inconsistent is something that that we need a few more games to figure out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And 
Coming up next, we'll talk about what's to come in the Ivy League this coming weekend. More chaos, who knows? And what's coming up in Jen and Isabel's coverage. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. And yes, they even cover your women's basketball betting needs. I love that BetOnline.net offers these options for women's basketball, and it's a very big deal. You can currently bet on NCAA future basketball odds as well. Or, and get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, BetOnline.net has it all. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. BetOnline.net is always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. From the WNBA and MLB to NFL, NBA, and NHL, BetOnline.net has got you covered for odds, lines, and games. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. Today's episode is brought to you by TurboTax. Go to TurboTax and don't do your taxes. Meet with an expert who'll do them for you. TurboTax experts can relieve you from the stress of taxes and file for you so you can do not taxes. Show your eyes things that are not taxes. Unpack a moving box of not taxes. Taste not taxes. Sing not taxes a lullaby. Hope not taxes sleep through the night. Grab a saddle and ride not taxes into the sunset. With TurboTax, an expert will do your taxes from start to finish, ensuring your taxes are done right, guaranteed, so you can relax. Feels good to be done with your taxes, doesn't it? Come to TurboTax and don't do your taxes. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. Intuit TurboTax. Full service products only. Video meeting while expert does your taxes required. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. So. We've talked a lot about the chaos of last weekend. Um, what are the must-watch Ivy League games coming up this weekend where, who knows, more chaos may occur? Well, before we get to more chaos, we get two games in the Ivy League against, um, I think they're officially a D3 team now in Hartford. <laughs> so both Princeton and Penn will get to play Hartford. And this week, we all yeah. know what's going to happen. <laughs> so that'll be super fun on Tuesday and then on Thursday. Yeah, and then, you know, for the weekend ahead, I think there are two, like, top-tier games that folks should be watching, and hopefully they're on different days. Um, so your priority on Saturday should be, in my opinion, Harvard at Columbia, which is, at the risk of oversimplifying, going to be a good old-fashioned shootout. Like, if you like offense, watch this game. That's not to say that the teams can't play defense, but their specialty is scoring, and it's going to be really fun. Um, so I can't emphasize that enough. I'm really excited. I wish I was going to that game. It's going to be great. And then Isabel mentioned the other one, but on Monday, MLK Day, um, Penn travels to Princeton, which I think is going to be a really big game from the standpoint of, like, maybe I'm still underestimating Penn after they knocked off uh, Columbia last weekend and they absolutely smashed Brown in their Ivy League opener. They won the first quarter 25-4, to four, so, like, Am I too low on Princeton? I mean, on Penn, possibly. We'll we'll get a really good idea of that, um, seeing how they do on the road in Jadwin. So those are the two that I'm watching for sure. And then, you know, well, I, I'm going to peek at all of them. But those are the two that I'm especially focused on. Yeah. yeah. Princeton-Penn is doubly interesting to me because Penn and Princeton will both 
get shots at Dartmouth and Brown respectively the night before. Um, so, well, I guess the afternoon before, but both teams will Saturday. be basically yeah. coming in hot um, in terms of like most likely outcomes for both of those games. Um, I would expect both teams to, to basically like use that as a warm up, and then having them come straight into this match on Monday um, is, is going to be really makes that makes that match all the more interesting to me. Um, cause it basically gives them the best opportunity to show off what they can do. Um, you're not coming out of a loss or anything or trying to make up for something you might've forgotten. Um, hopefully fingers crossed for everybody. Um, but, um, yeah, other, one other game that I'm kind of interested in just because I kind of like weird games is Yale Brown on, I think that's also on MLK day. Yep. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I just think this Brown team is super funky and fun. There's a lot of young players on this team that have played really well and showed some promise. And so I think, you know, watching them beat Dartmouth and then um, Yale having some ups and downs, I think this might be kind of a surprise game if Brown can pull it off. But also, this is another opportunity for Yale to prove that, you know, the start of the season was maybe a little bit of a fluke um, and, and they can really be a stronger team in the league. So depending on how that goes, could be an interesting game, could be absolutely not an interesting game. <laughs> it, it was a super interesting game last year, to your point. Brown really should have knocked off Yale. Uh, we're up, I think, 11 at one point, like late in the first half. And then Yale came all the way back and won on a buzzer beater. So yep. just from a like <laughs> revenge type of deal, like that could be a fun element in that one too. Yeah, I think... Uh... I believe Hartford is still uh, D1, but they are 0-15 and and have already lost this season to Brown and Cornell before their matchups this week at Penn and Princeton. Um, So, you know, playing half the Ivy League is um, one interesting kind of fluke in their schedule, similar to something UMass scheduled as well. Um, Everyone send hugs to Hartford. 0-15 is brutal. (laughs) and then you both touched on this a little bit, but is there anything else in particular that is one thing, big or small, that you're going to be watching for this weekend? Yeah, you know, I'm definitely going to be watching that that Penn Princeton to see to see in particular how Penn looks. But overall, I think one thing that's interesting to me is that one kind of result of all of the chaos so far in the Ivy League is that the Player of the Year race is kind of also shuffled around and flipped around and like who knows who the player of the year is as of this point so I'm curious to see you know who keeps having big games and who can stay consistent Um, I think the rookie of the year race at least if you look at the weekly awards is maybe a little bit more predictable but the player of the year race I mean I could pick the top players sometimes players on the same team like I could pick players on all five of the top teams pretty easily and then Brown's Kyla Jones is also scoring like nobody's business. So like I could probably pick players from six teams and make a case for them as the player of the year. So I think that that's going to be a fun thing to watch um, this weekend and beyond. Absolutely. And then somebody in Cornell had a triple double the other day. Yes. So it's, yeah, <laughs> there's lots of options for the player of the year race. The one thing that I think I could probably tell you is it probably won't be somebody on Princeton that's maybe the one thing I'm fairly certain of in terms of player of the year, unless somebody has a really great second half of the season. <laughs> I mean, maybe Caitlin Chen will 
step up her game in equivalent notches she did like this time last year when she went from like kind of settling into torching folks so that's a really great point <laughs> so you never know what could happen maybe it's um, just like a time of year thing just she puts it puts push, pushes the like activate destroy mode button <laughs> i'll have to ask her about that next time i talk to please, her please do I will say one other thing that I'm intrigued by in terms of the Princeton Penn game on Monday um, is the fact that both of these teams are like virtually tied for the top scoring defense in the Ivy League right now. I think they're separated by like 0.1 or 0.2 points per game. Um, so while Harvard Columbia is going to be a shootout, I think Princeton Penn is going to be the opposite of that. <laughs> Um, I, I would be shocked if either team scores more than like 65 points. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think if you want really good defense, I think that that will be a really fun game um, game for that as well. Plus it's a Jadwin, which tends to. Yes. <laughs> so for folks who haven't been to Jadwin gym, Isabel, how would you describe the layout? It's, it's funky enough that opposing shooters get thrown off. Yeah. I think the best way to describe Jadwin gym, which is, Princeton's home gymnasium, for those that are not familiar, um, it is, is foreboding, um, I think is the best way to describe it. It's got this really funky pattern of lights on the ceiling that casts this like really strange pattern on the court and can sometimes mess with people's like perception of how far things are. And I've also heard like kind of weird horror stories about like the depth of the court. Like sometimes it seems a little bit shorter than you're expecting. And then it's a little bit, like, yeah, it's just not a fun place to play. <laughs> yeah, it's like a um, dome and then yeah. you have your basketball court and they like try to wall it off. So it looks like a square, but it's like a dome and there are these lights hanging from the ceiling and the backboard yeah. is clear. So like, depending on where you are, I've been told you can see the lights like through the backboard, which like, how do you aim when you're seeing these like glowing orbs where you're supposed to be shooting? So um, it's wonky. It's also fun fact, the side of the Ivy League tournament. So like add that yep. as a fun variable for predicting how things are going to go. <laughs> yeah, I think Jadwin just like, it's, it's a really bizarre place to play. But I think also like, it brings the best out of people. Because um, people want to want to usually want to make a good statement on that court. Um, it's got a lot of history behind it. Um, and I'm excited to see it be the site of the tournament this year. It hasn't been that for a while, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, they rotate on all the campus sites. So, uh, mm -hmm. Princeton's turn, and then, then we'll move on after that. So, Jen, Isabel, what's coming down the pipe for your Ivy League coverage? Yeah, so uh, Isabel mentioned that Brown is kind of a funky and up-and-coming team. I'm going to have a deep dive on that coming out uh, probably this week. Uh, definitely this week. I don't want to have to re-pull re all of their data. So um, expect that uh, within a couple days of receiving this podcast. Um, and then I'm working on some, some other features, uh, including some stuff on Columbia. Mm -hmm. I've got um, a couple pieces coming uh, through the Daily Princetonian um, about the last couple of Princeton games, and then I'll be at Princeton Penn on Monday. Um, so I'll be covering that game live, which again, super stoked for it, and you should totally watch it if you can. Um, and yeah, I've got a couple other pieces coming down the pipeline at the next. Uh, I'm working on a big story about prioritization in the WNBA, so that'll be coming down pretty soon fingers crossed <laughs> um and yeah that's that's what's up for me 
And worth noting that folks can watch all of these upcoming Ivy League games on ESPN+. Plus. Yes. Thank you for joining me today, Jen and Isabel. Where um, can the people find you and your work? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Jen Hatfield one That's Jen with two N's and Hatfield exactly like you think. Don't overcomplicate it, Hat and Field. Um, and you can find my work at thenexthoops.com. You can find me on Twitter at Isabel Barroso with two R's, O-S-O, 78. And then you can find me also at The Next and at The Daily Princetonian, which is Princeton's student newspaper. Thanks for making Locked on Women's Basketball your first listen today. Make sure to tune back in tomorrow to hear more from Howard. Now make your second listen, Game to Game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked on Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts.